from One of One Production Studio, located in Fort Lee, New Jersey, this is the Art of Music Tech. And now, here's your host, Fela and Dennis. Let's go, let's go, let's go, and welcome to the Art of Music Tech podcast. And today, we have the legendary Patrice Russian. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome, Patrice. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming. I'm Fayla. There's Dennis. Hey, you guys. Know, we're the normal people here, but <laughs> we have a legend. I had to go first with you. Uh, Patrice is the chairman of the University of Southern California Pop Music. Chairman of Pop Music yeah. at the University of Southern California in L.A. That's that's big. Uh, and having many hits uh, that we've all heard and been uh, rehashed with Men in Black, with uh, Forget Me Nights. And I have a great story about that, but I'll tell later. Okay. <laughs> just just all, all the amazing stuff. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and showing love. Thank you. Yes. My pleasure to be here. We just had a great conversation for an hour. I know. I know. We should have. We didn't hit record. Yeah. We still. We, we're still. We're going though. Okay. We're, you're still That's here. It. That's right. And we're still going to give you some good knowledge. So let's go. From the legend. Let's From go. From the legend. Let's go. <laughs> so. Miss Russian, mm-hmm. uh, where are you from? Where Where did it all start? Mm. The musical journey. I'm from Los Angeles, and I know that that sounds funny to some people. Say, well, people are actually born there. Was, yes, what? I'm. A, I'm from LA, and uh, the environment there uh, really allowed me to see a lot of different sides of what it means to be involved in music as a vocation. Um, going all the way back, um, there's six years between my younger sister and I. So my parents both worked, and I was in a nursery school program uh, when I was a little, little kid. And uh, the teacher there was musical. And during the day when we would do activities, painting and doing things that you do in nursery school, when we would get to any kind of singing, dancing, musical activity, that's when I would really, I guess, show up, you know, as far as being uh, animated, engaged, and involved. And she told my parents that she felt like there was kind of an unusual kind of aptitude. And uh, my parents said, okay, nice. What do we do? And there happened to be a program that happened to be hap- happened at the University of Southern California uh-huh. that was a graduate course for music edu- uh, education uh, majors called Eurythmics. It was designed for little kids so that they could observe and notate what kinds of things these kids had in common who seemed to just enter the planet with a certain kind of musical appreciation and aptitude. And we danced around the music and waved scarves and talked about music in terms of color, talked about music and sounds in terms of Mm -hmm. how it made your body feel. All of these kinds of uh, concepts that are, for little kids, very common and interesting. But for adults are very intriguing in terms of that connection. Mm, And to this day, I still rely on a lot of that information in terms of how music makes you feel Mm -hmm. and the kinds of things that you do in terms of the uh, uh, emotional content that is within the notes and the choices that you make, Mm -hmm. you know, to the music that I do. So anyway, I went through that. I went through public school, 
where we had music education as just part of a general education. Mm -hmm. So there were bands and orchestras and choirs that were just part of what you had to do. Oh. And um, I got I was in like all of the bands. I learned to play the flute in junior high school, oh, middle that, school. So that was your first instrument. My first instrument was actually it, it was it was piano. It was piano. But I didn't have a sense of what I wanted to do with the piano. Uh -huh. I knew that I had either I had heard so much music that I wasn't that interested in pursuing a classical career, although I really and to this day appreciate classical music so yeah. much, but I didn't see myself doing that. Some of that might have been because I didn't see that many people who look like me doing that. Yeah. But the idea was that in learning that music and learning that appreciation for that music, it gave me good technique. It gave me good fundamentals. It gave me a sense of the tradition and the trajectory of what was possible for music. But I, my parents listened to a lot of jazz. Yeah. Did they play instruments? No, not at all. They were like your consummate music lovers that... You know, maybe occasionally would sing in the church choir or something like mm -hmm. that. Okay. Yeah. But who had like a mad appreciation for jazz in particular. So you're growing up listening to jazz. I'm growing up and in our house, you know, used to be where you'd have a stack of records on a spindle and the records would fall down. Mm. So they'd be listening to jazz. They'd be listening to the pop music of their day, which included like Frank Sinatra and Perry Como and people yeah. like this. Uh, and I heard all of this music and just kind of soaked it in as a part of the ambience mm -hmm. of just what was going on. The radio was always on. Uh -huh. I'm a uh, television. We had TV, so that was always going. And I heard music of all different styles, a lot of different ways. And I could actually picture the idea of music as a way of life, as a vocation, very early. Uh-huh. I couldn't see myself doing anything else. Oh. Uh -huh. and, and how old were you when that when That was like when I was around a teen teenage. Teen. You're like, okay. This then I went it. then I went to an all black high school. Uh-huh. It was a new school, it was post Watts riots of okay. the of, yeah. uh, of the late sixties. The goal for the whole community was to rebuild not just buildings and places, but a consciousness. Mm -hmm. about I, I gotta ask you this: Did you go to Watt Stacks? Did you get to go to that concert? To the Watt Stacks get, concert? Watt no, Stacks. I didn't get to go. Oh, <laughs> I, I wish I had. I didn't get to That's, go. Yeah, get, check that out. That's yeah, a it's, beautiful it's DVD. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> but I, but I lived in Watts. Yeah. Or what was, at, the, at least boundary wise, what was con still considered Watts, yeah. and the idea of the community. The idea of having people kind of surround this consciousness of excellence and getting really good at something was a part of the way that I grew up. Uh -huh. And um, I went to a high school where we had a very, very strong, it was public school, but it was a very strong music program. And there uh -huh. were three teachers there that were very innovative. Donald Dustin, Frank Harris, Reggie Andrews. Y'all can Google them. And the idea was to use music as a platform to teach us a lot of different things about mm. life. Yeah. That concept has become a little bit more institutionalized and has been a part of uh, higher education for a short time. But that was n very innovative at that time, for sure. Mm -hmm. And out of that program came a lot of people who 
our professionals today and have become my friends. Gerald Albright among them. Uh, guys that play. Earth, Wind, Fire played my high school prom. They used to rehearse <laughs> at, what? at that high that's, school. That's big. Right. So those guys, they didn't go there, but they okay. used to come there because they needed a place to rehearse. And my teachers oh, opened up, sad. you know, they knew them and opened up that up. And we watched them. They played the prom. Yeah. <laughs> Herbie Hancock came to the school and his band when they were a sextet in uh, Wandishi. They came to, to watch us wow. and see us. And they got that we were serious. Lenny White. Lenny White. Yes. Hey, he's Ooh. a local around. Wow. Of course. Yeah. And, and and that's when I met Lenny. When I was when I was like fifteen years old. Because they got that we were really serious about the music in total. They uh-huh. got that we were through these teachers being shown the experience that allowed for us to be able to absorb a certain amount of the tradition and see our place in being able to carry that further. And so many of us continued, you know, on to be, uh, you know, successful professional musicians. Yeah. And I really wanted to write. My thing was to write. I love to play. Uh-huh. But what I really wanted to do, I wanted to write for film and TV. I wanted to be inside that little box. Okay. Uh-huh. Doing when, stuff. So did you start writing uh, when you were a teenager? I or? did. I okay. used to write, like, the arrangements for the marching band. And you used to do stuff off the radio because we didn't want nice. to play the stock band arrangements. Yeah. So then my my pseudo gig became well what songs do we want to play and to write for the band and my teachers allowed me to do that Dude. see and to that be, experiential well. learning Whew. is a big part of what I do the whole thing and we get out on the field and our team was sad but the band was <laughs> killing <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, team, what a lot, yeah, that's what a lot of black, yeah, yeah either HBC, yeah, historically exactly. black colleges. Like, yeah, it's all about the band. One of so. our teachers had gone to uh, Southern University, so oh, that tradition yeah, of, Georgia, of what he taught, yeah. what he taught us, yeah, was part of what it is that we learned. Because again, uh-huh. that's part of a that's a that's a key element to the African American music experience. Yeah, and uh, so we learned a lot. In that way, we were nicknamed the Little Gremlin. Little Gremlin. <laughs> oh, <ballet. laughs> little Gremlin. Wow. <laughs> nice, nice. So you you get out of high school. Yeah. And, and did you have plans to go to school or you just wanted to pursue music or how did, how did that go? I down? wanted both. I wanted to pursue music. Also, my parents definitely had worked towards that mindset where we were, I was going to go to college. Oh, yeah. Okay. I knew innately that I needed to stay in L.A. Because like I said, I, I thought I wanted to compose for film and TV. I thought mm-hmm. I wanted to be that kind of composer. Uh, so I stayed in L.A. because that's I could see that that was where that happened. That was a path, you know, with all the studios there, with television largely yeah. based there. Films largely largely based there, and, and this was before that move to to Atlanta. Oh and yeah, yeah, Canada yeah, way before This was all like that. everything it was, was centralized. So centralized L.A. Exactly. Hollywood, yeah, exactly. And so I stayed in L.A. and I went yeah. to school at USC. Oh, okay. I, went to, I went to the universities, and I was a but they didn't have a path directly to that. This yeah. was before you had, you know, a, a curriculum that yeah. would uh, concentrate on being able to formulate those things that would lead you 
to that path of film writing or whatever. Uh-huh. This was before there was jazz in the schools. Uh-huh. This was before, uh-huh. certainly before there was popular music as a as as a as a major. Yeah. So I was a classical piano minor, and I had a music education major, because my parents thought it was a safe bet if I took classes that would allow for me to be able to get a job, and they felt that teaching, of course, was a noble profession as it is and that it would lead to that path but I had no intention whatsoever of doing either of those things so wait your parents wanted to be wanted you to be a lawyer or doctor no musical they didn't mind if I was in music oh they they they, they wanted me to be happy and they knew that that's where my my talent and my passion Passion, and my uh spirit drive okay and they were good with that but they also wanted to be can you support yourself? Yeah, they, yeah. They, of they, course. They, they couldn't make parents. the connection between a composer and eating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they can make a, a connection lot of people between can. teaching and keeping your lights on. Yeah. They can make that yeah. connection a lot. They uh-huh. would, you yeah. know, the baby girl and 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 uh and at least a, a roof over her head and lights exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> and and my parents were pretty I have to say, they were very progressive because a lot of parents, particularly then, would have said you can't do this music thing and make no kind of life for yourself. You know they would only see one particular path and not at least be able to see. Well, there are music teachers and uh-huh. there are, you know, music people who do playing clubs and there are music people who do uh, studio work. And that it, my parents could at least make that connection that there were other things. It was not all about you having to be you know on the front line mm-hmm. all the time. Mm, interesting. That was unusual. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're out there. You're at USC. How was college life? How was that? I mean, you're I still kind of close home. Life. I hated college. You had. <laughs> I had such a tremendous high school experience that created so many uh, lifelong friends because we were learning together. Uh huh. And experiencing together, and this is. This is something I think that we take for granted when we look at uh, education. A big part of your education is the community that you're in, in terms of your peers. There's the teacher-student uh, relationship, mm-hmm. but there's also the peer-to-peer. And that peer-to-peer relationship is a part of what keeps you going when, if all of your peers are striving for a certain kind of excellence. And we were. We wanted to be so bad we could play anything. Because we saw everything. We saw the masters in the clubs. We saw the Herbie Hancocks, the the Cannonball Adderleys, the Freddie Hubbards, the Farrell Sanders, the Miles Davises, you know, the Coltrane's, the Lee Morgans. Uh, we Lee we Morgan. saw those people. Yeah. We also saw the nameless, faceless studio musicians at the upper echelon who were doing television and film because they were so skilled that they could address any particular style and be able to navigate through that to be able to accommodate the composers for film and TV. Uh We saw extraordinary music teaching extraordinary consciousness about the connection between student the, the the power of the student teacher relationship we saw the choir director we saw all of these different 
kinds of lifestyles that were connected and what they had in common was this love of the music. And that was our, our, our goal, was to be able to participate in any way possible in all of these things and to get a skill set that would allow us to be just ready for whatever would come up. We loved the music and the idea of music making that much. Uh-huh. And we protected each other and would hold each other accountable. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and that was high school. school. Oh, it was high, high school. school. <laughs> one of my one of my best friends like, was was wow. the late drummer in Dugu Chancellor, who played oh, on Reach wow. for It and yeah. played with Santana and played with Miles and oh, Frank Sinatra, yeah. and is the drummer on Billie Jean. So all over the gamut, you know, <laughs> the whole Jean. the whole thing. That was one of my, that was my best friend. You would think he was only a jazz drummer, right? <laughs> Not at all. No. Not at wow. all. But that was, and we would hold Ooh. each other accountable uh-huh. for having our skills together to be able to handle it all authentically and coming with purpose. Yeah. So getting to to college, it was like every man for themselves. Right? College was a completely different situation. <laughs> At that time, you know, yeah. you didn't you you could count I could count the number of African American students that I would run into on the campus on period. Hands. Yeah. Um but the idea was to be able to focus on the information that you needed to close whatever information you didn't get or any gaps, but it, as yeah. an enjoyable community experience it was not that. Not that yeah. And one of the things as a teacher now and particularly as chair of the uh, popular music program at USC. The, I, that is part of what I have hopefully been a part of re-infusing yeah. into uh, that consciousness is that they are a community of, of, of artists who need each other. And they can't be afraid to fail in front of one another so that they can lift True. Each other, because that's what's going to happen out in the real world. That's what them. you learn, exactly. And that's and right, that's what you teach your exactly. Okay, students. That makes mm-hmm. sense. It makes total sense. Yeah. So, going further, it was the Monterey Jazz Festival of 1972 that sort of launched uh, an awareness of what it was that I was doing. Um, you know, uh, we entered. We used to enter a lot of uh, as a high school in a lot of high school. Bell leather bands and jazz contests uh-huh. and things like that because you'd win instruments and we needed them. Okay. <laughs> of course. Uh-huh. And then we entered that one that year the, that Monterey used to have. The band didn't win, but I entered the combo division with a sextet. And we did win. And the prize was that you got to appear on the main stage. And that's really where things like, you know, jumped off after that time. And you killed it, of course. 1972. It's amazing. (laughs) I had a great time. It was... It was nerve-wracking. And, and, so who else was on that? Oh, my gosh. It was, seemed like it was everybody Every, I had ever heard, heard of, of. <laughs> yeah. was on the show. And, you know, the Monterey Jazz Festival was a big deal. Yeah. And um, I know what, I, what, what came from that was that uh, a lot of record companies were there. And, um, you know, I was asked to consider signing to a lot of labels. And I was like, I'm not ready for this at all. I know that sounds really strange because most people would be running towards that <laughs> as fast as possible. But I uh, knew I wanted to go to college and because uh, this was my last year of high school and I knew I wanted to go to college. And uh, although I didn't know exactly what my how I was going to get there, you know, I had sort of a, a game plan, overall game plan in mind. 
but a small label that was up at uh, Northern California uh, called Fantasy Records uh, said, listen, we get it, and we can't offer you a whole lot of money or anything like that, but we want to give you an opportunity to be able to record. And uh, we do it like a two or three album, three album deal. And the money is, is, is not a lot, but we give you cre- creative control. So just, you know, it was so low-key and so friendly that uh, I needed money for school. So I took <laughs> yeah. so I took the deal. And I had a couple of other offers, but this one just seemed to be the right fit yeah. for me. Yeah. And I did uh, three albums for, for Fantasy. And things just kind of spiraled. That... Who else was on Fantasy, Rick? Oh, Cannonball Adderley. Yes. Um, I know I've heard uh, it. I, I had, couldn't... Stanley Turrentine. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sonny Rollins. Sonny Rollins. Was on that label. I mean, there was some uh, heavy, heavy hitters on the label. Joe Henderson, who oh. I asked to play on my first album. Um, it just gave me an opportunity to kind of step into that side of it, mm-hmm. continue to write, yeah. and to get some of that more together, and, of course, to play and to be challenged at a at a high level. And what I loved about being on that label was that it was like a low-pressure kind of a thing. I learned a lot. And they used to put me on other people's records where I would be playing for some of the other people on their label. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a practice nice. back then. That was a lead mm-hmm. into it, mm-hmm. yeah. And after that came, after those records came out, they had the same effect as I could, I could, I could liken it to what we have today when people post. Your records became sort of a calling card that allowed other people to hear you. Uh-huh. And because they would be on the radio and people would hear it and go, "Oh." And so I used to get then I would start getting calls from other musicians. I heard your record, you know, I was listening to the radio, I heard this da 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 or somebody was talking about you, and that used to be how things were generated. Uh-huh. And then gradually I started getting more and more uh artists of note, uh Jean-Luc Ponty being one of them to call me to play on his album. Uh, John McLaughlin, Ravish New to play on something, uh, Harvey Mason, Lee Rittenauer, wow. um, all you know, lots of different people who would tell somebody who would tell somebody who would tell somebody who would tell somebody. And I mean, this is all in the jazz world. Like, when do you even get to the pop part of that? Like, like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, that kind of it's How it's so even, it's so like, weird. Wow, that's super deep jazz. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like great, fo- <laughs> great foundation. I think, wow. the, I think the pop stuff entered my life a little bit later as a result Man. of having sung like one tune on one of those fantasy prestige albums. One. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as my own personal development was concerned, uh-huh. There wasn't this huge separation because at the same time that I'm listening to the jazz grades, I'm growing up at a time when when I was a little kid where Motown was in its prime, uh-huh. where Sly Stone and James Brown were just a part of my environment in terms of the people that I would listen to. That's what we were yeah. hearing at school, Marvin Gaye, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you know, the yeah. Beatles. Oh, come on. When the Beatles hit uh-huh. and... And Rolling Stones and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that was I was I was a very impressionable, you know, preteen at the yeah. time that those things <laughs> happened. So those were part of my musicality, part of my musical DNA. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Anyway. Uh huh. 
So anyway, going back, I sang this one tune on this last fantasy prestige album. And at the time, Electra Asylum, that was part of the Warners group, was entering into uh, an era where they wanted to incorporate a more wide uh, 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 commercial palette. And they had already been sort of this Laurel Canyon, super, super uh, 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 successful label. They had the Eagles. They had Linda Ronstadt. Oof. They had Motley yeah. Crue. <laughs> they had Jackson Brown. They had this and that. And they were looking as a label to expand into a marketplace that allowed for what seemed to be a trend out there as the audiences were getting older and more sophisticated to be able to sort of bridge this gap between a certain kind of jazz and uh, high art aesthetic with a certain commercial sensibility. So I was signed at the same time as, to that label as Grover Washington Jr., uh-huh. as Lee Rittenauer, as Lenny White when he was doing the peanut butter, uh-huh. as Donald Byrd and the Blackbirds. We were signed around the same time, and I guess they saw me as being able to uh, perhaps be part of this bridge uh-huh. to a certain kind of tradition, but that had a certain kind of commercial sensibilities. Uh-huh. And they asked me to sing more. Yeah. And I said, okay. But they gave me the budgets to also be able to have strings and horns, mm, which I would write to produce, for. Okay. To, oh. to co-produce the records, okay. which I did. So it wasn't just about satisfying what they wanted to do commercially was also a palette for me to be able to get some of these other skills Writing. worked out. Uh-huh. Exactly. And I, I took total advantage of that. And uh, I learned a great deal and uh, was able to have the kind of freedom to be able to try things and do things that were represented my take on that balance between uh an aesthetic that was informed by tradition, but but also could take into consideration that the idea was to get people up and feeling the music and moving mm-hmm. to the music or reacting to the music in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a, an amazing and, time. Yeah, I mean, and getting to combine everything that you like between the pop exactly. world and the jazz world. Exactly. And so, when does the hit? What what what? what What's the first thing that kind of like, oh, wow, this is a lot bigger? When did it get to that? Like, yeah. you're like, oh, wow, this is, yeah, I've really hit something. <laughs> I think the first single that actually came out on Electra was a song called Hang It Up. And that really uh, opened up uh, the idea of, 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 of R&B radio, black radio, uh, to, to me from that, from that side of it. Ah. I, um. And then later there was Haven't You Heard, which was uh, sampled by Kirk Franklin in years past that, after that. So so with those songs you wrote, these are all songs that you've been writing. You've wrote those, right? And lyrics too, right? (laughs) And the arrangements and everything. So it was like a a perfect perfect situation along with my friends, some of whom became, were co-writers on these songs. Yeah. And... We were all developing at this time. Freddie mm-hmm. Washington and playing bass. And again, I mentioned Ndugu and uh, Paul Jackson Jr. I mean, you know, Paul is probably one of the most recorded guitar players of all Here, time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it started then. 
when we were all together and we were just doing the music that we wanted to do. And we did, it was unusual and crazy. We didn't have any interference whatsoever. Uh, we just did what we did. And I don't know if that's because they really cared or didn't care at all, but I don't care. <laughs> it worked out. Because it worked yeah. out. <laughs> um, and those songs really kind of also introduced us to a different side of the music business, whereas... You can have a hit song or a song that people really resonate with, yeah. but you had to move up a certain kind of food chain to be able to get videos, to be able to go out on tour, to be able to get the kind of respect from the label from the standpoint of things that would allow for you to be able to do certain activities. Yeah. And by the time we got to the third uh, song that seemed to take off and then hit a wall, we realized, you know what? It's going to be up to us to uh, generate that excitement, we can't wait for the label to, to catch up. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Again, I felt like this was new territory for that particular label. Uh -huh. um, and I think that they were behind in the kind of uh, automatic marketing that they would attribute to some of their other acts. They didn't attribute to us. Yeah. So when Forget Me Nights came out, we said, we ain't going to lose another one. We're going after this one ourselves. Once we got a clue that it had the legs that we thought it had in terms of its connectability uh -huh. and its um, commercial ability, um, right out the gate, we put our money together to, to do independent promotion for the first time. The idea of being an entrepreneur, the idea of going okay. out on a limb, investing in the thing that you believe in, and knowing that there was a market that was ready to receive, but you got to get in front of that market. Yep. That idea for us was formulated then. Uh-huh. And uh, we didn't have a lot to work with, but we said we need to make sure that it gets to people for them to decide. But you got to get it in front of them. Yeah. And we did that. And that record took off. And we never looked back. And we didn't lose that one because heretofore, people were really into the music that we heard, that we were doing and that I was doing. But it would get lost in translation where marketing and riding that momentum uh -huh. uh, came into play. So, so what was that difference? What, what specifically did you guys do with that money that you pulled together? Yeah, we bought three weeks of independent promotion, which meant that we had somebody who would walk the record into the radio station, get an appointment with the program director, because mm -hmm. radio was that powerful then. Get, oh, a, yeah. get an appointment with the program director and say, you need to listen to this. Just listen to it. Mm -hmm. and, and if you like it, put it on. But you had to have somebody who would, wasn't coming in with a stack of yeah. 25 things. <laughs> You know, from this was, all the label stuff. Like, this hey, was somebody that's walking one? in how with yours yeah. and, Personal. Point, and pointing the person in that direction yes. of paying attention. Uh huh. You can't make people love the music if they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you got to get it in front of them for but them to have the choice. But you knew it had legs. You yes. knew by this sound. Like, okay, this is doing something. Okay, let's 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 do something else. Let's. They yeah. have their. Behind the times way of getting it out there, but exactly. then you just got a guy who was like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, ready and willing. Hey, we willing and dealing. Exactly. <laughs> I know that that particular DJ. Yeah, let's go. Exactly. Okay. The lesson nice. there for me was 
learning to understand and appreciate that if you've put in a certain amount of time and you've done your research and you've done what you're what you're supposed to do, that sometimes you might be ahead of the curve. You can't wait for everybody to catch up. You need sure to get can. it in front of people for it to already be sitting there so that they uh-huh. arrive at that point oh, with 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 wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And uh it was a valuable lesson that really taught me the meaning of what it is to uh, believe in yourself and to follow your your instincts about uh, the possibilities for what can happen, to not hear the noise and just kind of go towards what it is that you feel needs to get done. And I think that now, particularly in the, the way uh, the entertainment is now, man, that's, that's a credo, man. That's the way of life. Uh-huh. But you gotta really know that what you have is solid. Solid, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you gotta know that yeah. this is gonna kill it anyway. So I, yeah. I don't mind who sees. Won't this. happen overnight, though. Like it won't had, happen overnight. Like we had yeah. that conversation earlier. You take your time because you believe and you know that the possibilities are there, and you have the skills to back up what it is that you can do. So that it's not a one-time situation. That you, if you're given the opportunity, that you can create on that level and and put together on that level. Over and over and over, a certain consistency because it's about the purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you said body of work, too. There it is. Consistency. Exactly. Okay. Oh, so you, you guys get the big hit. You yeah. get your own money behind it. Huh? Yeah, it Everybody's out. feeling good. Yeah, everybody felt so good. The record company gave me my money back. Exactly. They gave me our little investment back. Okay. Oh. Awesome. Um, I mean, my goodness. So you, you, you have that monster hit. Where do you go from there? It's just like you get to just continue in your passion. Um, keep building. Does this... Is it like the Super Bowl, how the team disperses after the big <laughs> the big win? Everybody goes off and do the, does their own thing? Or, you know, what happens next? Well, the technology began to change. Things began to change. Um, the album that followed that one uh, allowed us to kind of experiment with some new instruments that had come out. The DX7 had just come out. Oh, <laughs> and I had a little studio at home now where I can oh, record. Oh, okay. Bit, a little bit All right. Uh-huh. So now I'm experimenting um, with different ways in which to offer that same higher purpose presentation. Uh huh. And uh, we had another song called Feel So Real. And it was, it got on the charts really fast and it was perched right between. Michael Jackson and and Jermaine Jackson's Tell Me I'm Not Dreaming and and Prince's When Doves Cry. Wow. And I'm looking at the record (laughs) like, what you going to do? And Michael and Prince. Wow, that's rarefied air. Let's go. And uh, (laughs) I waited for the record company. Now, we've already shown you. So I'm wanting to do a video. I'm wanting to tour. Yes. Uh, It didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't go down that way. Oh wow! It didn't happen that way. So you're still waiting for tours and I, music. So I didn't get to that? do as much as I, I think I could have happened, given that positioning. And that too was a was a lesson, because I knew that you know, the next go round for me needed to represent more of what it was that I saw in terms of the completeness of my 
musicality. I didn't, I didn't want to chase chart numbers. That seemed to be very limiting and superficial. Yeah. So the idea in that lesson was to uh, kind of regroup, uh-huh. knowing that I had achieved a certain thing. I'd, I'd probably have gone as far in that area, and it was time for another frontier. Uh-huh. So uh, I was courted by Arista Records, which was Clive Davis. Uh-huh. And I did one album uh, for Arista and did my usual thing in terms of us coming together and writing some music that we thought was really cool. And But it was a different situation. And now I have all of these people looking over my shoulder all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, it's telling not, you what to do? It's not, it's not, uh, it's not uh, like... Maybe uh, we maybe we should. Should. <laughs> it's oh. like, well, you know, you need to raise the tambourine right here. You need to da-da-da. And suddenly it's not, it's not the... Uh, expression, the palette is different, and it's not the it's not the expression of completely what I would want to do, but it has to do with an agenda that goes along with being able to support. Wow, and that was a great lesson for me to yeah. learn that things do come with a price tag, all of it. Mm, That's so of, funny. Yeah. I just watched the Clive Davis documentary on on Netflix like last night, mm. so that was so funny. Like, yeah, like he's insanely hands on. And you're like, so for you, that's like, <laughs> yeah, it was like, complete opposite. Hold on, like it was the complete opposite of my experience. You, you see, yeah. And, and because I had received from the people, from yeah. my people, the highest compliment already, which was that they were upset, accepting of the music as it was. Yeah. It was like a complete change to yes. have somebody say, "Well, no." And, I mean, gonna, that, that was his thing. I yeah, mean, in, exactly. In, his, in the documentary, it's saying, exactly. I'm and gonna I mean, tell you, tell turn down the vocals, turn up the guitar. I'm gonna tell you this, yes. that, and the mm-hmm. other. And it worked for a lot of people. <laughs> for some people, but but for I your, think what I also saw yeah. was for as many as it didn't work, many as it worked for it, mm. it didn't work yeah. for more okay. people. <laughs> you knew behind the scenes. And I think that I I I I knew early on in that relationship. Having that album just sit there while they were waiting on the hit to emerge. Yeah. Again, they I talked said, about it well, in the documentary. It had to be at I, least two uh, hits per album was his And quota. And it's like, how do you, if, if everybody knew how to do that, you know, it, it, in other words, our I think our philosophical uh, uh, considerations Approach, and yeah. approaches were... Yeah. Not the same. Yeah. I'm not going to say one was better than the yeah, other. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because it obviously worked for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. But for me, it was, yeah. not, a, it was not a good fit. It uh-huh. was not a good match. And so I asked to be released yeah. from the label. And I think that the compliment that he paid me was that while I think he really appreciated my skills and my talent, uh, I think he knew that that was never going to result in a... Um, what he wanted. what he wanted yeah, to see. his he, vision for yeah. me and my vision for me were not too same different yeah so uh, they did let me out after a while right. and I continued then to get back to the composing side and the film side and the orchestration side and the things that I wanted to do so I did I ended up doing a lot of TV during that time mm-hmm. okay so okay. like and what, that's what, what I well <laughs> I you know it's funny how things work uh-huh. a guy named Robert Townsend. Oh. A director named Robert Townsend <laughs> was going to do a new, <laughs> he was going to do a film called Hollywood Shuffle, and he needed a composer. 
And he was going around to the different agents, composer agencies, looking for a composer. And I had recently been signed to one of the agencies that he visited. And I think my name was on the bottom of the list in pencil. (laughs) (laughs) And he's going down the list and he's seeing these amazing composers to him that are not meaning anything. And he gets to the list and says, wait a minute. I recognize this name right here. And And it's because he knew the records. He was yeah, a heck yeah. And he says, well, I want her. Well, now, this was to the horror, I'm sure, of the agents who were like, well, uh, this will be her first picture and blah, blah, blah. He says, well, yeah, that's who I want. So I ended up uh, co-composing the music for Hollywood Shuffle. Wow. Okay. Now, we got to go deeper into what Hollywood Shuffle is. That, that was like the precursor to living color. That's right. Uh well, it, uh, I'm gonna get you sucker. Like right. this is the beginning. It's beginning. That's a whole black comedy. Like we're talking about the hot young. That comic. was a community within themselves. Holy cat! The whole the Wayne Keenan Ivory Wayans. Now watch this. All of that. Watch this. <laughs> so when I the first time I played New York at one of the clubs, it was Seventh Avenue South, I believe, or the Bottom Line. Uh-huh. Can't relieve. I can't remember which one. Keenan Ivory Wayans opened for me. <laughs> it was stand up. That's crazy. <laughs> okay. And in LA, <gasps> it was Arsenio Hall. <laughs> so, see, that's that. You see what I'm saying about the arts community? Yeah, in, in that 70s. Yeah, back in the day, 70s, there was a 80s, lot of comedians 90s. that opened for rock groups. There it you go. Like, Red, exactly. oh. That was like a thing. Learning that something every now. day. That was a thing. But back in the day, yeah. We like, helped each other. Wow. And yeah. the idea was when Robert did that film, you know, that's the famous film where he didn't have any money. So yeah. he bought old film stock to shoot on and he paid everybody with a credit card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was wow. even before what Kevin, uh, the the guy who did Clerks. Uh, yeah, mm. but that whole thing. Yeah, but yeah. he was the first to it do it. It happened that. before Max Clerks. Out. Yeah. I haven't seen. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen Holly, that movie. Yeah, so yeah. Hollywood Shuffle but is. I will. It's, a, it's like a yeah. cult film. It's now. a cult film. And in this mi- in this movie, he David wanted Alan to Greer be exactly David wow, Alan Greer. So you many just people. name them. They're the in first. It. Yeah, their first. The idea of this movie was that as a black actor, he was always typecast as pimps and slaves. <laughs> pimps and slaves. Wow. And he had these dreams of playing Rambo and and <laughs> Superman Rambo. and wow. all of these things. So musically, for me, it was ideal Deal. because in one moment I'm writing music that sounds like James Brown and Superfly, and in another moment I'm writing music that sounds like John Williams Star Wars. Yes, and so and 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 creating and recreating the 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 musical atmosphere of mu- uh, the music in Rambo and stuff like that to represent Rambro. Rambro. Wow. And, <laughs> so. <laughs> So this, so this one film, this one yes. film for me became wow. became like the such a the um, the wow. sample, the sampling of all the kinds of styles that, you can that do. I could do. Wow. And from that, Robert got five HBO specials, and he asked me to music direct all five. That's what started my music direction career. In television. That's what started it. Wow. Wow. Shout out to And these were five variety shows that featured comedy, 
musical guests, film clips. Yes. All the things that were within my wheelhouse that I would have never otherwise had the opportunity to do all in one setting. Had it so I, I have a I have a great deal of of uh I offer my kudos to Robert for his work, but also for his confidence in yes. me. And because it allowed Even for me chance. to be and it and that's oh. Fela, that's what I'm telling you <laughs> and Dennis. It takes one <sighs> correct yeah. door or moment. Yep. That allows for you to be able to walk through that door and take advantage of that moment. That, that that if you're then prepared skill wise and creatively and not lazy about doing all the work, not the one not cherry picking, even free work, doing <laughs> like you said, doing free work, uh-huh. that it opens it it, it, it opens does. up to you. It takes one opportunity, and then if you walk through and but a you lot must of be prepared, right? You already yeah, ha- you, have you already had body prepared. of work before that's what, you that's started. What, you know, somebody told me that a long time ago. They said. There's a certain amount of this that is serendipitous, a certain amount of this that is luck. But luck is being prepared, prepared. for the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Hours every day. Yep. There it is. Exactly. Exactly. And so. the willingness sometimes to do it for free. Or to do it for a lot less. Because oh. the opportunity <laughs> oh, yeah. is gives there. you might might open up. You see a bigger picture, right? And bigger things that you could not even possibly get. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's the story of our business. There it is. It's just, and hey, have, we like this story. person. Let's just do this for them. Let's just. Yeah. And I it'll mean, be We did something. it for Christian. Like, exactly. In Japan and China. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are the kinds of things that you, you can't necessarily put a value on it uh-huh. because they become game changers. But it's priceless. Life changers. Priceless. It's, that five years later, five years later, ends up being priceless. Yeah. So, from music directing those five specials, uh-huh. the director of the NAACP Image Awards came to me, and I did thirteen years in a row of that variety show. Wow. And the same director who had done the Robert Towns and stuff then called me years later to do the Emmys, which I did three times. Then that director called me to do some stuff for BET. I did several BET Walk of Fame shows. One with Stevie One for Stevie Wonder, one for yeah, Smokey Robinson, those. one for Aretha Franklin. Wow! <laughs> and then after Listen that, to the names. after that, I was asked to do the Grammy Awards uh, for three years. So, M. Ding, right for the best of the best of that year on the charts with on Michael charts. Jackson and Prince. Exactly. She took care of all of that. Like all your music, all these different genres, being able to handle that from country to classical to pop. Mm-hmm. That's whew, wow. So it the journey has been amazing and the idea of it being this just gumbo of so many opportunities. <laughs> yes, but gumbo, but exactly. I re, but I remember soulful gumbo. Wow. But I but I but what I remember most is <laughs> that what we wanted to be. What my crew wanted to be yes. was able to do any and all of it, and we worked to that end. And a lot of that has uh, has come to pass. Has come to pass. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. So, when when do you get back into education? And when does the USC thing come into play? 
I was asked after doing all these award shows and stuff like that, you know, my reputation as a music director for these big events, you know, was out there. And USC used to do these big fundraisers and uh, it would it would typically involve an orchestra and all of the different areas of the music departments oh. coming together, opera, jazz, da, 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 da. and they wanted a music director to kind of help organize how to present this the, the, this, this idea and yeah. and uh, and so I was called just independently to to do it and as an alum, uh-huh. you know uh, I felt okay this might be kind of cool uh, yeah so it was it was interesting to be back there you know in the capacity of a professional when I had been a student who was not happy there yeah. because I couldn't get <laughs> yeah. the the stuff I needed to know I couldn't get it there at that time at that time yeah. But I did my job and everything went really, really well. And I was asked to come back a second year and do it again. During that second year, a guy named Chris Sampson, who had been working at USC as an instructor, and he also had spent some time in the uh, uh, area of administration, you know, that dealt with, you know, uh, scholarship and scholastics and stuff. He said, can I show you something? I said, yeah. And he whipped out of his pocket a blueprint on a little piece of paper of what he saw as being a need and a, and, a, and, a, and a sketch of a curriculum for this popular music program, which would become a major. I looked at this thing and I saw everything there that I wish I'd had when I was there. And I said, well, why are you showing it to me? And he says, because I'm going to need consultants and I know that our our... Our, our movement towards this thing depends on professionals being able to say, here's the information you really Maybe. need in order yeah. to put it into an organized curriculum uh, that can be followed and kids walk out of here. Because everybody ain't going to check the box of wanting to be a classical a player mm-hmm. or singer. And everybody's not going to check the box of wanting to be a jazz player or singer. And yet that information is valid to they them need. and needs to be uh <laughs> corralled in such a way that it's applicable to what they want to do as their major. And it's possible that there could be a curriculum that doesn't just pander to the idea of of a commercial kind of music major, but that sets them up in ways that we were set up. Uh Uh-huh. Saves them maybe a few years because we had to do it as we did it. Uh Uh-huh but organizes that information in such a way that they can walk into the marketplace, walk out with a degree, and be ready for the workplace yeah. at a certain level as yeah. a professional, you know, ready to go. I said, sign me up. <laughs> and I became artist in residence for that. Uh-huh. That program is now 10 years old. And the structure of the music school has changed slightly. And Chris went on to be ultimately vice dean over a division which had popular music, jazz, music industry and technology, uh, studio guitar as a separate thing, and film scoring. Because in the real world, our worlds revolve around that. The producers need to know the music, the performers. The performers need to know something about production, the industry and technology piece. Everybody needs to know something about the technology in order to do their piece better. In other words, it was this building on the idea of what it really looks like in the real world and our interconnection and interdependency on one another. 
And if your program, if your college program begins to foster that consciousness there, that becomes the network that you go out of school with, and it just gets wider. Uh huh. Exactly. So that program has developed into being uh, Thornton, which is the um, music school of the University of Southern California. It's like really the flagship mm-hmm. program now because those kids are run are getting out of there, and within a year to two years of graduation, they're winding up with huge gigs, some winning Grammys. Some working with mm. the likes of Katy Perry, George Benson. Oh, wow. Uh, That's uh, huge. Gwen Stefani. Thanks uh, to you. Doing these things because this because this idea yeah. is being cultivated yeah, you in hone, real time. Yeah, honing something that you knew from back when you were in school was and, and exactly so is, and the kind yeah. of skills and the kind of versatility yeah. that is required now becomes part of what their work is when they're in school and when they're out in the world, they are able to offer it did in service like, oh, of what is going on. All these different things, if they want. Yes, exactly. Get, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's the worst thing when you get out of school. You don't really. You're like, well, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks for the diploma. But yeah, now what? Right? <laughs> you know, if you hadn't been prime before, yeah. you just like, okay, what's the next? Step? And it's and it still yeah. it still takes the time. Yeah. It still takes the direction it still takes the cultivating of how you're going to go about trying to do and it still takes that aha moment Uh of you realizing what it is that you really really want but you're skilled enough to be able to then turn that aha moment into an actionable step Uh and to let them know that in a college environment so that they can experiment with all the different things they think they want to do to at least hone in on how they learn Mm-hmm. How they have to be thoughtful and mindful and then have the courage because yeah. they have the skills. It's a different it's a different thing. And yeah. I, and it's really rewarding for me and really creative because it keeps changing as the industry continues to change. So we can't get lazy and say, Well, thirty years ago. Exactly. You know, no, I mean, it's you're literally years. in popular music. So that means your, your curriculum has to move. Constantly, constantly with the move of popular music Without so wow that how is that can you move that fast in, in mm-hmm. education because some it just gets bogged down it's a challenge it's such it's a challenge <laughs> I, I i will i will admit to you that oh. we move at a different pace and a different rhythm than the than the rest of the, the no, no. music oh, okay. music program the mess of the music uh school uh, which is typical because institutions move yeah. slowly. Yes. But <laughs> we also move in such a way that I think that our the proof in, in what happens means that, you know, although we have to push hard and we constantly have to try to, you know, reorganize and convince uh, the powers that be, that they are starting to get it. They're starting to get if this kind of innovation, if this kind of new model is something that you really want, then you do have to be willing to adjust 100 years of doing it this way to maybe looking at the possibility of doing it a different way. Not throwing out the baby with the bathwater, but definitely adapting to a speed and a desire and also a different kind of of, uh, teaching Uh that involves experiential... Movement and you and that does move uh, faster than a lot of institutions. So, so you have, have done. to bring in like 
the latest producer. Like, how do you keep Experts. with that? Because it's like every yeah, you keep. Five years, I mean, it's, you find yourself it's so having quick. yeah. <laughs> you know, you're exactly right. You find yourself with there being a core kind of knowledge that you have to keep finding ways to make that core relevant. Yeah, to the so way in which people would be utilizing it out there in the world. And, yeah. and 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 the students are really smart and really adaptable. Yeah. When they get that you're telling them the truth. Okay. And yeah. when you are not afraid to be <laughs> yeah. able to take them off the, the little pedestal that they're on because they have created some beats or they have written one little that's song a, or something like that and say, you know, that's ask. lovely. But here's yeah. what you need to know. If you want a career that lasts 50 years and not 50 minutes, <laughs> exactly. that... there's information that you cannot not do and so yeah. we build just like you would in any other field you learn the history you learn foundational material and you carry it through you give people a chance to then experiment with that vocabulary uh-huh. some days is going to be better than others you lift them when they fall you close the gaps of what they don't know you give them more information you let them take that the information that they knew and apply it to now this new information that they have about how they build on what they want to do. You offer certain information that you know they need about technology, certain information that you know they need about entrepreneurship. You offer that to the add to the mix of the music and the knowledge that they have had. Yeah. You allow them to see it through a lens that keeps focusing on how it's a continuum, not a uh-huh. competition. Yeah. It's a continuum. I mean, jazz was pop music. Jazz was pop music. <laughs> sure like, was. Exactly. <laughs> Which is why when we used like, to get a, a little bit of heat from the from the jazz community as we like, experimented with these other kinds of forms, especially me, we used to get a little heat from the jazz community. We were like, well, you have to be sold out. What are you talking about? You got this you is want, part this, this is part the of the tradition too. This is the involvement of the tradition because we never we because we knew that we didn't leave it. Now that's yeah. different from somebody who enters it over here. Yeah, yeah. has no idea what's happening <laughs> yeah. over here. Yeah, yeah, and just kind of just plops down where they're at. Okay, that I can get that you would not maybe relate to. Yeah, but don't be jamming yeah. me up. <laughs> I know, right? You know, like, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, and and jazz is how we came together through. Brother Mister Christian Brother McBride, because right. right. <laughs> uh, Patrice is the keyboardist in the situation. Christian McBride is the situation. Uh, is Patrice Russian? Christian McBride, uh, DJ Logic, Allison Williams, and Ron Blake. Ron, Ron Blake, Blake and Jahi, Jahi Sundance. Sun and recently we've uh, invited uh, yeah, DJ Lindsay. DJ Lindsay. Yeah, she's yeah. doing a great job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Patrice is in town, thank goodness, <laughs> in New York for uh, with the Blue Note run of the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the situation, I mean, it, it culminates all with what we've been talking about anyway. I think Jazz. So. Pop, being Hip-hop. open to, being open to to everything, everything, anything. Right. Um, I I was out on tour with them for shit, it was like three weeks. Yeah. We were in Europe, so we became good friends. Me and Patrice, a uh, lot, lot of talks about music. Um, and the way that band came together, I guess I, I'll let you tell the story 
of how that came together. <laughs> and we got a bunch of DJs, bassists, keyboardists, singers, and, 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 a, and a saxophonist in one band. Two DJs, two mind DJs. you, too. That's right. Um, this is a crazy setup. I, I'll it's let a you crazy tell setup. The <laughs> well, it, it, again, you know. We, Monterey Jazz Monterey Jazz Goodness Festival. gracious. That's, this is a lucky place. comes wow. back it around. Comes all <laughs> the way back around. Oh, it's amazing. It started there. Yeah. Where Christian says that, uh, you know, he was supposed to be headlining a show uh, one night and his two, two of his band members were stranded. They couldn't get there. Yeah. Um, airport stuff. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I'm headlining the show, and I don't, I don't have a band. So he looked at the lineup and said, well, who's not playing when we was going to play? Yeah. And Ron Blake was already with him. I happened to be in the area. Uh-huh. He said, well, you play? Food? Okay. I said, what are we going to play? He says, I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I guess he found logic. And we went out there and just kind of jumped off the cliff and saw what happened. Well... Again, this is where your skill and musicality and openness and all of the things we've been talking about uh-huh. come together in one moment. The vocabulary that all of us share allowed for us to find a common ground in real time and be able to make mm-hmm. some music. And that feeling that was certainly what we felt on stage, but also we could see it in the audience making a certain kind of connection. Uh, Christian picked up on it and he says, you know, we got to do this again. And so he invited uh, other people to be involved. And I think we did a few other dates. I think the one that we met at was in, at SF Jazz yeah. oh, in San we Francisco. Have a recording on that. Yeah. And again, <laughs> it was like kind of walk out there and just sort of see what happens. Yep. And we did a couple of them at Yoshi's uh, in the Bay Area. And every time we did it, what was just just obvious was that there was this, this connection that had to do with the music's communication. It, it, it wasn't so much about what song is it going to be or what yeah. this or that. It was about a certain kind of music communication that was just raw and real because the articulation of it was so clear. Yeah. You know, sometimes you'll see people and it'll sound good, but it's not, it, it, it's yeah. not clear. Yeah. Or it'll be crystal clear but there's no showmanship yeah or the music will be at a very high level and really high done but there's no connection Mm -hmm. or it'll connect but it's not done well yeah this seemed to have a platform that would allow for all of those things to gradually come together in a way that would have all of the all of the best parts of the meal Exactly. I mean, whether you're young, with me looking at the audience from where I'm at, young, old, everybody was digging it. Everybody was digging it. It was such a... I mean, to see people dance at a jazz show, like, you don't see that. No, so you don't that, see that. <laughs> And especially you don't it's see it when... up and feeling it. When they're Ooh. satisfied that from yeah. a musical perspective, it is being presented at, at a at a level that respects that tradition you know so it's not it's not a it's not a feeling of playing down to anything uh-huh. it's a it's a feeling of challenge that that is just lifting Hopefully. but it allows yeah. the the audience to be able to come with you uh-huh. which is really an interesting thing and i really experienced that you know when we were in europe this summer just seeing yes. that uh over and over and over and over again so uh, 
it's been really interesting also to note that a lot of times people make the leap that DJs don't have, you know, that they, they're good at what they do, mm-hmm. but that they don't have a certain kind of informational consciousness and knowledge that they're that that so many of them are spinning. And there are people that are just spinning records and that's what they do. But then there are other turntablists as artists mm-hmm. whose vocabulary and whose study is just as intense as the study of what we do as musicians on our instruments. They are musicians. That's their instrument, right? That's their instrument. They are musicians who are creating in that way. And when that body of knowledge meets this other body of knowledge and they converge, you have an experience that is way different from somebody just providing beats Mm -hmm. or just providing background to, you know, it's a little bit different. And yeah. that that has been an interesting phenomenon for me to be able to see how that connection is there. Then you add to it the last member of the band, the sonics. Because our presentation means nothing if can't nobody hear it. And it's not presented in such a way where all of these elements are presented also from a sonic quality that allows for it to happen. Enter in the engineer. Enter in the front of house. Because no more can we consider that that's not part of the presentation. No more can we ever consider that that's not part of the deliverable in how people perceive a performance. So all of these elements, all these skill sets, all this information comes together for a presentation that allows for people to feel something. And the process of of that has been just tremendous. It's been really, really interesting to watch and observe and see all these pieces uh, yeah, come, come together yeah, and man. what it means to an audience when it does. It's a different yeah. kind of thing. You're, I'm, 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 I'm still shocked <laughs> and surprised at the reaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Hey. Yeah. Paris, London. Oh, my goodness. It, it was... The reception was amazing yeah, to the band. And just... It's just so different. It's, it's, I can't even explain it when I'm like, I, I'm just like, you just got to see the show. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there's definitely going to be more touring with that, with the situation and doing, you know, more with this. But oh, Like uh, we've talked about. Yeah, you're doing even more. Yeah. yeah situation. Oh, yeah. We're looking to do oh, more. Definitely. So, uh, I just want to thank you. Oh, it's Patrice. been a pleasure. Because, wow, you just... I got to share the story before yeah, we yeah, yeah, before story. Uh, Well, I'm originally from uh, Kazakhstan, right? I was born in USSR. So before I came to this country, 2007, I think, I didn't speak English, mm-hmm. right? Wow. Uh, and when I first time saw Men in Black, I heard that music and I didn't know nothing language-wise and I couldn't know how to translate it. In old line, I remember he's come. Uh, here comes the man in black, right? That was the cat. That, <laughs> that's was, right, that's that right. was that was the uh, that was the line. <laughs> Until I came to this country and I met Fela, she educated me. That's actually this original song comes from you. I yeah. I didn't know that until wow. I came to this country, wow. and then we had that conversation a couple of days ago. It was like that that is so crazy because she told me you're coming to the studio <laughs> for the interview. <laughs> In that moment in my head, like, 
<laughs> your one American song wow. you kind of knew. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Wow. That's crazy. Yes. Wow. Music. Wow. It she travels everywhere. Music tra- everywhere. <laughs> and it touches people. Not even knowing the Not language. Not even knowing. Wow. <laughs> nice. Not even knowing the language. Yeah. Awesome. That's wow. that's that's why we do what we do. That's why we do. We get a a a, a pinky those finger in that. Come on, I get to meet you <laughs> after whatever the twenty years. Twenty was the twenty two years since that movie came oh, out. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah twenty two. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's a, that's I, a big moment for me. Wow. The, <laughs> achievement. Wow. Wow. That's yes. Thank, yes. thank you. Thank wow. you. See, yeah. it's moments like that that you know you can't. You can't predict that. You just, no. it just is. <laughs> and like we were saying earlier, you know, sometimes, sometimes you don't know. And uh, mm. I have a feeling that artists, and when I say artists, I'm meaning the entire collection of creatives. I think that the price, so to speak, that we pay for being creative, for having these talents, is that we're we're not gonna always know how it's yeah. gonna plan out. You know, sometimes if you are in a certain field, you do this, you do that, and it equals this. Uh-huh. Creatives, we need to learn to become more comfortable with the idea that we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't know where it's gonna go. Yeah. But we must do what we do because it is our truth. It is who we are. Uh-huh. It is what we do. It is why. We are here. <laughs> and just know that if we stay on purpose, stay in our truth, get our skills together so that we have options of the way we keep touching with our truth, then it's all going to work out. It will work itself out because we are ready to receive that opportunity. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the opportunity, yeah. The, that's always, people see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do, whether it's good or bad. You know, so you might as well just get to it and get to work on something you're get passionate about. That you're passionate about. And, right. and people see what you're doing. You you don't eat, you never know. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, and, social media. Did you know that a Christian found fail on LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. <laughs> when she told me that, I said, "Well, how did he find you?" And she says, "Well, he found me on social media." <laughs> yes, I was like, "Wow." Yes. And I somebody's end up watching people like you, the Kim verses, the the all the back the the Leslie Ann Joneses who you're a big ooh, fan of as ooh. well. Like all of these amazing people I get to meet and I get to show the world what you guys do. Like how you in, inspire us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These yeah, behind yeah. the wow. scenes, these are usually conversations I get to have with people. Just oh yeah, behind closed doors. But you know, this platform puts it out there and gives everybody that knowledge that knowledge that oh yeah, from, that's from the ma- from the masters you didn't have a, a grammy award winning dad that <laughs> <laughs> that you started out doing this with. like no you got this from your community you you found other people that were on the same playing playing field as you that wanted to make it happen and mm-hmm. making it happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was how me and him, you know, exactly. we were like, oh, you want to do something? Yeah, let's do something. Mm-hmm. Let's make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is what this is all for. Uh, thank you so much My for coming pleasure. on. Wow. My pleasure. The Art of Music Oof. Tech Podcast is on Apple Music, um, Spotify, iHeartRadio, 
YouTube, all, all the good stuff. Uh, and and how, how could people get in touch with you or how, how yeah. did, like, you know, and how did, oh, yeah, your, your album, this, the, the, the retrospective. Oh, the, comp- the, the yeah. compilation. There's a new compilation that came out from all of the music, that, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about today. That's from, yeah. like, 1974 through the, through the early 80s that has all of the hits on it, some beautiful photos. It's in vinyl and also the digital format. Yeah. So that's available on Strut records which you can find uh of course all of those uh albums that came out during that time are are available and you find them on itunes amazon any place yeah. um i've played on probably i don't know a thousand records yeah. so <laughs> just google my name and you'll see a lot of different people that i've played with and certainly you can you're open to find those records yes. to get a better sense yes. of course sort of the 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 overall art, uh, artistry and the kinds of things that i like to do um but you can also get in touch at www.patricerussian.com, which is the uh, 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 site. And, you know, just keep doing what y'all are doing out there. Pay attention. Oh. Be aware. Listen. Yes. You see new <laughs> things coming up. This podcast is definitely going to uh, hopefully inspire. And yes. do your best. Yes. Give it your best shot. You get one shot at this life, you may one. as well go for it. Go for it and offer your best. Learn everything that you need to know to be able to give yourself the opportunity to contribute in a way that is meaningful. That's would be my advice. It's fun. It's work. It's hard. Mm-hmm. But it's joy. Oh, blissful. I must say, I love, yeah, I love everything about it. I get to meet people like you. Ooh, and vice versa. <laughs> uh, thank you, every. Thank you so much, everybody. Um, saying goodbye from Patrice Russian, Dennis, right, and myself. Guys. Thank you, and continue to let's go. Let's go, guys. Let's go. For more information of booking Twenty Three DB Productions, visit their website at 23dbproductions.com Like and follow 23DB Productions at Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter for the latest work. <laughs>